to be looking in Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4, while you're opening up there to Micah chapter 4, just want to remind you, uh, if you're come, registered and you're coming to our couples retreat, that starts at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. So we'll be right in the sanctuary here at 7 o'clock, and uh, make sure you uh, are on time, amen. Uh, also, uh, we'll have some other, some other information for you uh, in regards to that. Uh, if you got one of the flyers, it has a schedule right on the front of the flyer so you know what time you're supposed to be where uh, and what you're supposed to be doing. Also, hopefully you picked up one of our prayer calendars. Uh, be sure to be doing 40 days of fasting and prayer. And we have different scripture marked on each different day so you can read that so that we're all uh, praying with the same heart and the same mind at the same time. Amen. And uh, just getting ready for our anniversary of our church, uh, which is on November the 15th, and uh, 40 years of ministry here in Tom's River, and we just want to rejoice in the goodness of our God. Well, by now, you should have Micah chapter 4. And Micah chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And so just some introductory thoughts here you can see in your notes. Uh, first three chapters that we went through already, I don't know how you feel about those chapters, but uh, they seem pretty bleak uh, in reference to uh, the revealing, the corruptness of man. And uh, because of the corruptness of man, God's wrath is poured out on him and um, chapters 1, 2, and 3, uh, you just don't seem to have much hope uh, when you go through those three chapters. However, chapter 4, it says, but in the last days it shall come to pass. And so there's a change in the narrative uh, when you get to chapter 4. Psalm 30 and 5 says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And I believe that chapter 4 is the joy in the morning of chapter three, chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, in the darkness. Uh, I read one person who said chapter 4 is the sun, sunrise or ray of hope for Israel. And uh, chapter 4 is dealing with the restoration and regathering of Israel as a nation and as a people. Uh, it's pointing towards the millennial reign of Christ. And so let's look in, at chapter 4 and see what practical applications we can make into our own life. First of all, in verses 1 through 8, we see the kingdom described in uh, verse 1 is it's highly exalted. It says, but in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. So highly exalted this matter of the kingdom of God and uh, first of all, literally, in your notes, you can see there, just literally, it is Jerusalem. It's speaking about Jerusalem. And we're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, when Jesus Christ comes again, uh, Ju Jerusalem will be highly exalted and lifted up. And uh, he'll certainly rule and reign uh, uh, over his people Israel. So literally, it's talking about Jerusalem uh, figuratively, however, verse 1 is talking about Jesus Christ. 
and in reference to when Jesus comes, uh, he'll be highly exalted. Back in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2, uh, is a great cross-reference for this verse. Daniel chapter 2 in uh, verse 34 and uh, verse 35. And uh, if I can get there, I'll get there. Amen. There we go. This uh, says, Thou sawest till uh, that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, that were, uh, that were of iron and clay, and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so that's speaking about the Messiah that will come, the destruction futuristic, not just in the life of Daniel when this took place, but uh, talking about what Christ would do when he comes. He'll destroy the nations of these, this world, and uh, he'll lay a foundation that's solid and secure on himself uh, because the kingdom of God is highly exalted, according to verse 1 of Micah. But also we see in verse 2, there's a universal impact about what is taking place. It says, and many nations shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so as Jerusalem is exalted, as the kingdom of heaven is lifted up, and Jesus is ruling and reigning, there's a universal impact that the nations will come to Jerusalem. And they will come to Jerusalem for the express purpose of meeting with the God of Jacob. And uh, he'll reveal his word to them, and they go uh, uh, knowing that not only are the nations coming to Jerusalem, but the word goes out from Jerusalem. When I was putting this together and was going through it, I thought about uh, that the word of God, uh, you, you know, in the first century, they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. And they began to go out from Jerusalem as they were scattered abroad. They went everywhere preaching Jesus Christ. And we see the, the really the effects of uh, the gospel of Christ being preached in uh, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 as it's sounding out from Jerusalem as they're scattered and driven out of Jerusalem. Well, you know, prophetically speaking, when Jerusalem is exalted and lifted up uh, and the word of God goes out from Jerusalem because the God of Jacob is there uh, because he will teach us, he says. He will teach us his ways. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to know that God has done so many great things just in the process of revealing who he is and what he desires for us to do. And he teaches us his ways. The greatest thing for us today to do is to know that one day, yes, Israel uh, is going to be exalted. The kingdom of heaven is going to be established in Jerusalem. And just as important for them to be taught the word of God in that time, it is important for us to be firm and sound in the word of God in the days in which we live. 
And so we are blessed to be able to have the Bible in front of us. We are blessed to be able to have the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide as we go through the Word of God. So he will teach us. And what will he teach us? In verse 2 it says, and we will walk in his paths. He instructs us in how to walk in his paths. Uh, we don't live our life in the ways of the world. We live our life in the direction and the way that God wants us to live. And I think many people have forgotten that, uh, that prophetically the desire of God in the fulfillment of the reign of Christ is that not just Israel, but the people, the nations of the world are going to walk in his ways. And so it'd be good for us to start walking in his paths right now uh, as we live our Christian life. So the kingdom of God is described as being highly exalted. Uh, the kingdom is also being described as universally impact, but also uh, it's peacefully established. Notice in verse 3, it says, And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords in the plowshares and their spears in the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, Jesus said, in this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said prophetically, he said, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Uh, but wait a minute, when the kingdom of heaven is established, Jesus Christ establishes millennial reign on this earth, uh, there will be peace on the earth because in the presence where we live right now, uh, we protect ourselves. That's why there's wars and there's rumors of wars. That's why there's conflict upon conflict. Over in Luke chapter 11, in uh, verse uh, 21, uh, Jesus gives us a great statement here about the thief coming to steal in the night. But Proverbs, uh, Luke chapter 11 in uh, verse 21. If I can get my Bible open. Oh, there you go. I got the page going now. Uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 21 says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. And so, yeah, we, we watch out for our stuff. We protect our stuff. We do all that we can uh, because we're concerned about, as verse 22 says, but when a stronger than he come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. And so in the world that we live in, we have this mindset of protecting ourselves, trying to defend ourselves, whatever it may be. But when the kingdom of heaven is established, when Jesus Christ uh, establishes his kingdom on this earth, there will be peace uh, in the midst of the storm. In the millennial, uh, in the present, we protect ourselves. In the millennium, we have an arbitrator uh, that intercedes on our behalf. Notice, first of all, he'll, the attitude of war is changed. It says here, it says, nations shall not lift up a sword against another nation. So there's a whole different spirit, a whole different attitude. Why? Because the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is reigning on the high hill of Jerusalem. And because of that, everyone has to come to Christ and worship him and submit to his authority. And so now their spirit or their attitude has completely changed. Then their action, the action of war, is eliminated. 
says, neither shall they learn war anymore. There'll be no need to fight battles because Christ, the king, has already established his kingdom. There's no need to try to defend yourself because it is Christ who defends his people. And so he's encouraging Israel with the fact there's coming a day that you're going to be uh, no longer distressed about life, no longer oppressed as a nation, because the God of Jacob will come and establish his kingdom. And when he establishes his kingdom, there'll be no need for spears, no need for shields, because the temperament and the attitude of the people will be completely submissive to the one who is sitting on the throne of David. And so uh, we see this kingdom being described uh, in a way of peace. But also in verse 4 and 5, he deals with during this kingdom, uh, as Christ will reign, that they'll be financially secured. Financially secured. I always get tickled. I turn on the radio on the way over and listen to some news media uh, when I'm coming over to church. And, uh, you know, whatever took place today, all of a sudden the markets respond tomorrow or almost immediately when whatever goes on. I mean, it's just it's an alarming thing to see how quickly they respond. And the fi people think they're financially secure. And then all of a sudden everything falls apart. Well, wait a minute. When Christ establishes his kingdom, we'll be financially secure. Notice in verse 4, there's personal prosperity. In verse 4 it says, But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. And so when we have that personal prosperity, we're sitting in our place of security uh, in reference to what we have and own and possess because of the blessing of God it says, none shall make them afraid. And so personal prosperity, fear is removed. And the fear that is removed is because of the Prince of Peace is present. And we know that everything that we have, everything that we're going to need, everything that we're going to depend upon is secured in Christ, the one who is reigning on the throne of David. And so financially secured. Uh, it'll be wonderful not, not have to worry about the stock market and worry about savings and worry about retirement and all these different things that we worry about that are here for a while and then vanish away. Uh, when, we get, when the kingdom of God is established in Christ, the Messiah is reigning, uh, every man will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no longer will they have fear in the reference of financial situations. And so... Uh, personal prosperity. Verse 5, however, deals with practical theology. Notice in verse 5 says, For all people will walk everyone in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so verse 4 is dealing with the physical uh, enjoyment and security that we have in the king, millennial kingdom of Christ. But verse 5 is talking about the ability to know that God is exalted in our life. We walk everyone in the name of his God. Uh, there, there'll, be no, there'll be no disputing about who God is. Uh, there'll, there'll be no confusion in, in reference to what God's expectations are. 
And we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so it's a never-ending experience, a never-ending uh, possibility, a never-ending enjoyment. And so it's a practical theology. In other words, understanding who God is. Theology is the study of God. And he says in verse 5 that every man's going to uh, walk uh, in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so there is a physical security that's based upon who our God is. It is God that's going to take care of every issue that man has to deal with, so financial secured. We see in verse 6 through 8, completely regathered. And this is building up for Israel to be encouraged that, wait a minute, it seems devastating in chapters 1 through 3, but listen, there is a promise, there is an outcome, there is a kingdom that's going to be established by your Messiah, and that is going to be established when you're completely regathered. Notice, first of all, it, he acknowledges his affliction upon his people. You do know that God afflicted his people when they rebelled, they disobeyed his word, and in verse 6, it says, in that day, what day is that? When Jerusalem is exalted. In that day, when, when is that? That's when we're walking in Zion, when we're fellowshipping with our God, when he's ruling and reigning. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth. The word halteth there means to be lame or to be crippled. And so he says, oh, well, in that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. God's acknowledging the fact that Israel was scattered, Israel had suffered, Israel was wounded, Israel was limping because of the fact that he had afflicted his people for the rebellion and rejection of him. But that's not the way it's going to be in the millennial kingdom. Uh, when, he, when he is, brings his people, he gathers them completely together, bringing them back, whether they're healthy, whether they're uh, physically hurting, whether they're sick, or whatever it is that's going on spiritually, decaying, God will bring a healing to them as he completely gathers his people together. Not only does he acknowledge his, his affliction, but in verse 7, he recognizes their limitation. Notice in verse 7, it says, And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And so the limitations that was upon Israel, they were scattered. Uh, the limitations that were upon Israel... Uh, she was driven out by, from her homeland. Uh, the limitations of, upon Israel is based on the fact that they were scattered abroad. But God said, I'll assemble them together. I'll bring them together as a remnant uh, because it is the Lord's doing and not them, their doing. So he recognizes their limitation. But he explains in verse 8, he explains their domination. Notice in verse 8, it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. 
And so, yes, the kingdoms of this world, the nations of the world come down and fight against Israel. It is their Messiah that will come and defend them. Uh, yes, the, the nations and peoples of this world oppress Israel, but now their king and their God is ruling and reigning. And as he rules and reigns, now they are the ones that are in charge. Now they are the ones that are powerful. They are the ones that take dominion and reign over the nations of the world. So we see the kingdom that's going to be established through Christ is described for us in verses 1 through 8. Well, verse 9 through 10, 9 and 10, actually, uh, the kingdom is delivered. Notice he continues with this thought of calling the remnant, gathering them together, healing their land, establishing the authority. And then in verse 9, he says, Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is, there, is thy counselor perished? For pains have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth. O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail, for now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon, and there shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. And so the, the kingdom uh, delivered. Uh, first of all, we see this. He says, uh, why are you crying out aloud? Is there no king there? Is there no king in thee? And so no king. They're crying out. You know, it's interesting. Israel cry unto God and say, give us a king like the other nations around us have a king. Uh, where really they were a theocracy. God was their king. But they cried out for a king. And the reason why they cry out for the king is because of the fact where if there's no king, there's no leadership. And they're wanting leadership. The problem, they were looking for the wrong leadership. And now when Jesus is revealing, uh, Micah, uh, Micah is revealing here the coming of the Messiah, he is saying, you've been crying out with no leadership. You've been living with no leadership because you have no king and because it was the wrong king that they had. And uh, it's Jesus Christ that will be the king that will give them victory. So... Then he says, is thy counselor perished? So he identifies a problem. They had no counselor. And uh, if they have no counselor, that means they have no comfort. And uh, they, they were struggling. They had been in travail. They were, there were, uh, uh, they were in bondage. Uh, and uh, certainly Babylon would put them in bondage. And, but yet it was God who would deliver them out of bondage in Babylon and he's saying, now, wait a minute, I know you're distressed, you're crying out aloud because you have no king, you have no leadership, but you have no counselor, you have no comfort in your heart either. But then he says here in reference to uh, the birth pains of a woman, for pains have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field. And so he tells them here uh, to go ahead and go through the travail and go through the pain. Why? Because if there's no birth, 
There's got to be birth. There's got to be spiritual birth. If there's no birth, that means that there's no life. And Israel needed to find life, and they needed to find life in their God, and the life that they would enjoy was through their Messiah. He came to his own, but his own received him not. And the sad thing is, their Messiah came so that they might be able to have deliverance and get life, but they rejected their Messiah. But Micah is looking to the life of Christ on the face of the earth, and he's looking at the millennial reign of Christ to impress upon Israel that the nation of Israel will be delivered. We have so many people that are just antagonistic against Israel. Some people, I've had people get mad at me and get upset when I preach on Israel. Uh, and uh, uh, it's just amazing how quickly we are willing to turn our backs on Israel. But God is not turning his back on his people. And uh, he's going to bring life as a woman that is in travail uh, you say, when's all this going to take place? Uh, no man knows the day or the hour, but uh, he is going to bring it to pass. So in Luke chapter 4, we see a fulfillment of uh, the prophecy of Isaiah in reference to the Messiah that would come. The kingdom would be delivered because it would be the Lord that's going to provide that deliverance for them. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 17 it says, oh, uh, Luke chapter, oh, it'd be nice if I got in Luke. I'm, I'm getting ready to leave it. I said, that's not the right passage. And uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 17 says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now Micah and Isaiah were contemporary prophets of each other. In other words, they were prophesying at the same time. And they are prophesying in reference to the same situation that was going on in Israel. And so here is Jesus. He comes to the temple and it says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where, uh, where it was written. And notice, first of all, the leadership established through Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And so there is a leadership uh, that is established that the Spirit of God was upon Christ. He was a fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament in reference to the deliverance that God would bring to his people. So we see the leadership established by the Spirit of the Lord being upon him. But then we see the comfort. That is offered in verse 18 says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance unto the captives, and to restore, uh, I'm sorry, in the recovering of sight to the blind. And so we see the comfort that is uh, established. Why? The comfort to set at liberty them that are bruised. And Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of the prophecies of Micah. And the prophecies of Isaiah, because of the fact he is the one who provides the biblical spiritual leadership for his people Israel, and while he's providing that leadership, he creates an atmosphere of comfort for those that are brokenhearted, those who are lame, those who are in bondage, those who need sight. He brings comfort to their soul because he sets them free. And then in verse 19, 
He, the Lord provides life. Notice in verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, real life comes based on the fact of the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. When he made that statement, he was acknowledging the prophecy of Micah. When the Messiah would come, that he would give leadership, comfort, and life to his people, Israel. So we see the kingdom uh, being delivered. Then in verse 11 through 13, we see the kingdom uh, defiled. Notice in verse 11, desired by the nations. In verse 11 it says, Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, Let her be defiled. And let her eye look upon Zion. I mean, the nations of the world had a combined effort constantly throughout history uh, to try to destroy Israel and to defile Israel. For if they could defile Israel, God would bring his judgment on top of them. And so there was a combined effort and a consorted effort of uh, the nations of the world coming against Israel. Notice in verse 12, uh, it's deedered de de um, by the Lord. And uh, in verse 12, it says, But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsels. Who's that? That's the nations of the world, the nations that are coming against Israel, trying to defy Israel. They don't know the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. For he shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. And so God is the one who's going to bring them into uh, the, uh, his place of safety, put it where he can protect them. And so I thought about this. Uh, the way the Lord deals with this is by pure thoughts. Back in Isaiah, since Isaiah is a contemporary of Micah, we want to look at this, uh, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 and 9, uh, the pure fault, thoughts of the Lord uh, towards Israel. Uh, Isaiah 55 and verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. The world looks at things and say, Well, this is how I think it ought to go. Why is God doing this? Because your th his thoughts are not your thoughts. Uh, Israel would struggle with dealing with being right with their God. Why? Because they did not comprehend or understand what the thoughts of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your, my, your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God has something far greater, uh, uh, far more powerful uh, to accomplish what his will is for Israel, uh, and mankind cannot comprehend what it is that God's going to do. You say, well, why would God establish a kingdom this way? Uh, it's his choosing. It's his own will. It's his desire to do so. Then we see by sound counsel, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 33 and verse 11 says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart, to all generations. 
And so, you know, Israel is the apple of God's eye, and if God is going to bless and God's going to move in the world through his people Israel, then that so be it. He, that's his will. That's his sound counsel in establishing his ways upon all mankind because all nations will have to come to Israel, to Jerusalem, and worship Christ on the throne there. So there's sound counsel. But also he deals with this by grinding judgment. In Isaiah 63 in verse 3 says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I have tread them in mine anger and trampled them in my fury. Uh, their blood shall be uh, sprinkled upon the, my garments, and I will st uh, stain all my uh, raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. I, and I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own army brought salvation unto me, and my fury, and it held me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk with my, in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And so we see the God's prophesying against the children of Israel uh, that he would grind them in his judgment. Why? Because verse 13 tells us in Micah chapter 4, uh, this is determined upon Israel or by Israel. He says, Arise and thresh, O daughters of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their grain, uh, their gain into the Lord, unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. And uh, you know, it's uh, interesting throughout time that different nations have tried to destroy Israel, but that little tiny nation is still there; nobody can destroy it. And it is because of the fact that it is God himself who defends Israel and he has a remnant that he has prepared to establish his millennial kingdom and all the nations of this world will be ground to dust. I like what Bruce um, uh, Walkey uh, said. Uh, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary years ago. He said, the ox pulling the threshing sled represents the people of God. She is supernaturally equipped with horns of iron, symbolizing her invincibility, and with hooves of brass, with which she treads the pride and pretensions of the enemy exceedingly fine. In other words, when he talks about here the grinding press and he talks about the threshing floor, God's going to use his own people, Israel, to grind in the powder the nations of this world to stand against God. Amen. Uh, it's amazing, amazing chapter. I'll tell you, there's a different temperament in chapter 4 than what was in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And I'm glad to get to chapter 4 because you start seeing the victory that we have. That's why I wanted to sing that song tonight, Victory in Jesus. Uh, because you think, well, wait a minute, the church suffers great persecution. That's okay. The Lord's already overcome this world. Uh, you know, if God before us, who can stand against us? Uh, why should we fear man 
uh, when we uh, don't fear the things that what God can do to us. God's going to use us in a great way to stir people's heart and turn them to the Lord so they be ready and they might be ripe and they might be right with God to be go, able to go into the millennial kingdom of Christ. And so he'll establish his kingdom. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you tonight. Make sure to look up the verses that we didn't look up all the cross-references. Be sure to look them up and uh, continue your study there in the book of Micah. Uh, we have our prayer sheet before us. We need to pray tonight. Is there anything that we need to add to the prayer sheet before we go to the Lord? Anything at all? All right. You guys have been hitting it good. Laura. All right. Yeah. Okay. Amen. Amen. We'll pray for them. Yeah. He's too young to get married. <laughs> I know. It'd make me feel old. <laughs> That's what I think of him. I think just a little kid, you know. <laughs> Let's pray for